Good morning, everyone. So good to see everyone here. And we're continuing in our series called All for Christ. We've gotten through those four sides of the cross, but our series continues. And really, we're going to be filling out what these four areas mean. And particularly today, we're going to be filling out what it means to surrender all for Christ when it comes to Christian baptism. We've talked about being all together for Christ, reaching all for Christ, and all of this is all for Christ's glory. By the way, if you would have sat in one of the front two rows, you could have either got the green all for Christ wristband or the black and white all for Christ pen. But sadly, most of you didn't. And um, yeah, well, you guys can slip over and grab one of those, I guess. I didn't put them out. I just, I'm just telling you. All right. Today we want to talk about baptism. And there's a danger here this morning that those of you who've been baptized will tune this message out, and I hope that that will not be the case. I want to start by asking this. Are there really no bad questions? I mean, we all had a teacher, right, who said, if you don't understand, put your hand up, and just there's no such thing as a bad question. Now, I've been a parent long enough to know that that's not true. <clears throat> And especially on road trips, uh, driving out to Bancroft in the middle of nowhere, trees everywhere, and some kid in the back seat says, what? Are we there yet? <clears throat> That's a terrible question. Look out the window. All you can see is trees and moose. We're not there yet. Which can lead parents like me to ask an equally bad question. What's the matter with you? There's really no good uh, answer to that question. In fact, sometimes we ask questions that are kind of loaded questions. They're actually meant to send a message that there's something wrong with you. Or if I said to uh, Andreas, did you dress yourself today? <laughs> That's not a good question. Or the ultimate helpful question, uh, when, you when you've lost your wallet or you've lost something important and you go to your mom and say, Mom, I can't find my wallet, and she says the most helpful thing, where did you leave it last? <laughs> Bad questions. And so let me suggest to you today that one of the worst questions we have asked in the church pertains to baptism, and I'm going to put it on the screen and you might think that's not really a bad question, is it? Isn't that a great question? Is baptism necessary for salvation? And churches like ours have asked that question, and it's kind of set up as a yes or no answer, isn't it? Is baptism necessary for salvation? And the problem is, if you say yes, then uh, we're crossing a line from uh, being a church and, and believing a gospel that is by faith alone, right? It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. It's not the act of baptism that literally washes my sins away. So if I say yes, it seems like I'm crossing a line into doctrinal error. But then what if I say no? What if I say that no, baptism isn't necessary for salvation? What happens in churches like ours is it communicates this, that it's optional. That it's not really that important. That it's not really a big deal whether you do or whether you don't. And see, this question has led to so much confusion 
in the hearts of individual believers who've yet to be baptized, for example, or who don't know that it's really that important, I'm going to argue this morning that that's not a very good question. And I'm hoping that we'll answer better questions as we go through this message this morning and consider baptism. What we'll find, actually, is when you go through the scriptural texts, and there's many of them about baptism, you don't find them asking this question. If you did go to those various texts, and we're going to do that this morning in a number of them, uh, to try and find an answer to this question, you will never find a text that answers the question, no, baptism's not necessary for salvation. There's only one, one place in the Bible that anyone would ever appeal to to suggest to us that baptism isn't really necessary for salvation, and that is the man on the cross whose heart turned toward Christ, whose heart turned to repentance. Remember the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't say, oh, sorry, uh, you, you clearly can't get baptized. You're going to die on that cross, so no salvation for you. No, clearly the man was offered and promised salvation without any hope of being baptized. That's really the only text anyone could ever point to to say that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. It's not that big of a deal. It's not important. So let's look at some other questions that people asked. First one I want us to see is from... Acts chapter 8, if you want to look uh, at these verses uh, while I refer to the story, uh, you may do that. Acts chapter 8 tells us the story of an Ethiopian man, a, a government official who traveled to Israel. We're not exactly sure why. Uh, but on his way back, he's reading the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, amazingly, he's reading uh, Isaiah's prophecy. He's reading the 53rd chapter which is a text that describes the suffering of Jesus for our sins. Now, God sends a messenger to him, a guy named Philip. He says to Philip, go and speak to the man in the, in the chariot there. So he comes running alongside the chariot. He overhears the Ethiopian man reading from Isaiah. And the Ethiopian man, uh, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I understand unless someone explains it? And so Philip goes up into the chariot and begins to explain to this man the meaning of Isaiah 53. And when Philip has finished his explanation, he's preached the gospel, he's told this man about Jesus and shown him how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of Isaiah's prophecy, of everything that God had planned for the nation of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And the Ethiopian man asked this question. Well, is baptism really necessary? No, he didn't ask that. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Boy, that's a different question, isn't it? Not, is it necessary? Is this really necessary? But what could stand in the way of me being baptized? Don't you love that question? Now, here's what's interesting about that. Who, who brought up baptism? The Ethiopian man, having understood salvation and clearly having come to the place where he uh, was ready to repent and trust in Christ, immediately knew that the next step for him was baptism. You notice that? It was the Ethiopian man who said, I got to get baptized. Now, how did he know that he was supposed to be baptized? We don't exactly know how this came out. There's two possibilities in my mind. One is that as Philip preached the gospel to the Ethiopian man, he was talking about baptism. 
right? We don't tend to do that. We, we tend to keep baptism separate from our, our sharing of the gospel. Either Philip mentioned it to the Ethiopian man and began talking, and maybe as he sensed, and I do this if I ever have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who's close, the very, the very thing that I want to talk with them about is baptism. Because it forces them to count the cost of what they're about to choose. Are you serious about this? Are, are you sure you really trust in Christ? Because I want you to know that, that if this is the choice you're making, uh, here's one of the next steps for you. You're going to stand up publicly and be baptized. We don't hide that information. It's crucial information because baptism is meant to be a mechanism that forces people to count the cost. Do I really believe this or don't I believe this? So either Philip explained it to the Ethiopian man and made it part of his gospel presentation, or the Ethiopian man had encountered Christian baptism while he was in Jerusalem. He had seen and heard of public baptisms, and when he saw them and had someone explain, well, what's, what's this? And the Jewish people would have said, oh, this is, that's this Christian sect. It's like a cult. And when people join that cult, this is what the Jewish people would have said, they get baptized. And maybe as the Ethiopian man came to understand the gospel and realize, oh, now I get it. This isn't a cult. This is actually the truth. In fact, I want to join and be a follower of Christ. He instinctively knew that he would have to get baptized. So he didn't say, baptism isn't necessary for salvation, is it, Philip? No, he said, what could stand in the way of my being baptized? And two verses later, he and Philip are in the water and the Ethiopian man is baptized. Well, let me give you another, uh, another example of a question from Matthew chapter 3. This is the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And when Jesus comes to be baptized, and of course John the Baptist was, uh, had this ministry of transition between the Old Testament and God's dealing with his nation of Israel into the New Testament in which God was going to establish a new people of God that included both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Jesus was going to be the king of those people, the savior of those people. So John the Baptist's ministry was to help the people of Israel transition from Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament people of God, Israel, into the New Testament people of God, believers in Jesus. So, he understood his ministry. In fact, he told people this. They would say, are you the Messiah? He'd say, no, I'm not the Messiah. There's someone coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. John had this awareness that Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, was coming after him. And somehow the Lord revealed to him who that person would be. It would actually be his cousin, Jesus, of Nazareth. So on one occasion, Matthew chapter 3 tells us a story of how Jesus comes to John as he's out there in the wilderness at the river and asks, comes to John for baptism. So John has a question. Is baptism really? No, he didn't say that. He says, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and do you come to me? Do you ever think about this story? Do you ever think about why did Jesus get baptized. The New Testament is so clear that John the Baptist's baptism was called a baptism of repentance. How was he helping people to transition from Old Testament Israel into New Testament people of Christ? He was doing that by calling them to repent. 
by giving them an awareness of their sinfulness, pointing their hearts towards God and to their need of salvation. So he preached repentance, called people to turn from their sins, and those who turned were baptized as a public declaration of this change of heart that they were experiencing and choosing. Well, why would Jesus need that? Jesus, we know from Scripture, had no sin, never sinned, had no, nothing to turn from in his life. So no wonder John, who's doing baptisms of repentance, would say to Jesus, why do you come to me? I'm the one who needs to repent. I'm the one who needs a Savior. I actually need you to baptize me. Well, Jesus answered John the Baptist in this way. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized. So what's going on here? Uh, this is the way I understand the baptism of Jesus. We've talked about this transition period from the Old Testament people of God who were the nation of Israel into the New Testament people of God who were the followers of Christ. The baptism of Jesus was kind of the inauguration of the Lord's ministry. Do you remember what happened when he got baptized? A, a dove came down and rested upon him and a voice, supernatural voice of God came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This was God's way of publicly declaring that Jesus was his son, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus now is the one that people must follow. He was establishing a brand new kind of people of God in which Jesus would be the king and the savior. And so the baptism of Jesus was the moment of inauguration, not just of the ministry of Jesus, but of this new thing that God was doing, this new a collection of people who would be saved and brought into his own family and kingdom. It all started right there at the baptism of Jesus. So here's what's cool about that. Everyone who gets invited or who, who chooses to trust in Christ, to join themselves to this people of God, finding salvation in Christ, everyone who chooses that gets baptized. It's a, a public declaration that I'm part of this people of God. And it all started with Jesus saying, yeah, I am too. He, in baptism, was identifying with the rest of us who would someday believe in him. He was saying, I am part of you. And of course, when we get baptized, what are we saying? Me too. I am part of Christ, and I am part of this new uh, gathering of people who follow him. And that is why Jesus got baptized, and that is why we are called to be baptized as a symbol of joining this new people of God. Well, I got another question I want to show you. It's the question that arose on the day of Pentecost. Remember that day in Acts chapter 2? God supernaturally enabled his followers to speak in other languages so that the people who'd come to Jerusalem from all sorts of places who spoke different languages actually heard the gospel in their own language. And Peter, after preaching a sermon, a strong fire and brimstone sermon in which he essentially is accusing the Jewish people that they actually crucified their own Messiah. 
and the Spirit of God was at work in people's hearts. And just before Acts chapter 2, verse 37, we find that they were cut, says they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter and the apostles this question. What shall we do? What shall we do? Peter recognized that the Holy Spirit had brought them to the very doorstep of salvation. Their hearts were prepared. They were ready to turn from their sin and to be saved. So Peter, Peter's answer, of course, was, was what? Repent and be baptized. See, it's interesting how we've changed the language. Many of us would say in that moment, we would, we would maybe say something, well, you should, you should pray the sinner's prayer. We might say, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And that's not biblical language. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying if you've used that language or if that's the way you understood your salvation. But notice, that's not the way Peter answered the question. Peter's answer was, as we've already heard, repent and be baptized. Notice, every one of you, some of you, some of you repent, some of you be baptized. No, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You can see why some people want to theologically tell us that baptism is necessary for salvation. If you want to actually be honest with the various texts of the Bible about baptism, you have to wrestle with this. Peter actually does the same thing in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, when he talks about baptism. He uses the word saved. Baptism which now saves us. That's the language he uses. And so the challenge for us is to recognize here that Peter, as he's teaching the people the gospel, preaching the gospel, calling people to salvation... He included the word baptism in his call, in his challenge for them to respond to the gospel, repent and be baptized. So what's going on here? We want to wrestle with why is Peter making this such a big deal? And if baptism does it, if, that, if the act of baptism isn't saving me and washing my sins away, well, what's going on and why is it so important? We'll get back to that. One last question I want us to see. This is from Acts chapter 19. This is not a well-known story. Many of you would never, uh, you won't remember this. You've probably, some of you have read it. But in this story, in Acts chapter 19, Paul's on, I believe, his second missionary journey. In the early verses of Acts 19, he travels to the city of Ephesus, and he finds there what the book of Acts tells us were some disciples. Now, that's a good sign because disciple is actually what the Great Commission calls us to make. Make disciples. Go into all the world. Make disciples. So in Ephesus, Paul found some disciples, but he discerns fairly quickly that they don't seem to fully understand the gospel of Jesus. So he asks them this question. What baptism did you receive? The assumption that Paul makes here is that anyone who's associated with this new people of God or this new movement that's come out of Judaism, out of, out of, uh, out of uh, the Jewish faith, and now people are following Jesus, his assumption is that they must have been baptized into this new thing. 
The answer that these disciples give is that they had received the baptism of John, John the Baptist. No, that's good, obviously. That's exactly what they should have done. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist was calling people back to follow God and repent of sin and turn to Christ. So these disciples had heeded that call and responded and been baptized into John the Baptist's baptism of repentance. So, what did Paul say? Did he say, oh, well, that's good enough then. You got John's baptism, that's all you need. No, actually, he instructs them, and he says this. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And in the very next verse, the very next thing that happens is these disciples who've been baptized into John the Baptist's, John the Baptist's baptism of repentance, they're baptized again as followers of Jesus, baptized into the name and into the faith and into the people of Jesus Christ. Now, I find this story a little bit interesting because uh, some of us, some of you perhaps, have had a previous kind of baptism. And I wonder if we would have the opportunity to have a conversation with Paul, and he might ask us, well, have you been baptized? And we say, well, yes. Well, what kind of baptism did you have? And if you were to give the answer that you have to Paul, what would his instruction be for you? Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus into his people, into his faith, into this company of people that are following him? That is what scripture calls us to do. So, in the time that we have remaining, I want us to think now, what is baptism? I'm not going to ask, is baptism necessary for salvation? I want us to ask this question, what is baptism? Biblically speaking, from a Christian biblical standpoint, what is baptism? I've got five, five things. Number one, Christian baptism is an initiation into discipleship. We see this most clearly from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you still want to say that it's optional, what does he say? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Oh, that includes baptism, doesn't it? You can't get around this, that Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them. In fact, teach them to obey, because that's what a disciple does. A disciple of Jesus looks to him as teacher, as master, surrenders their heart to him by faith, and begins to obey the things that he tells us. It's impossible from the Great Commission for us to wiggle out or, or try to maneuver away from this invitation, this call, this command from Jesus himself that we would be baptized as his disciples. Now, some people have tried to say that, no, no, you're misunderstanding because to be a disciple is like a second tier 
you know, you, you, you trust in Christ for salvation, you get saved, and then if you ever make it to discipleship, is really irrelevant. But we know from the Great Commission that that's not true. Because the Lord's call to global evangelism, go and make disciples of all nations, is not a call for us to try and get people to join a church or pray a prayer or it's this I want disciples I want people who will follow me and of course you say well but I thought salvation was by faith absolutely it's by faith and what is the best way to demonstrate that we trust in Jesus Christ is by being his disciple in fact you can't say I trust Christ for salvation but nothing else you can't say that. You can't, you can't tell me that you're trusting Christ for salvation, that you really believe that he is the only way. In fact, you're, you're, you're essentially saying he's not trustworthy at all because I'm not willing to do the main thing he's asked me to do. That's not saving faith. That's not trust. Baptism is an initiation into the very thing that Christ calls us into. To be a believer, to be saved, is to be a disciple of Christ. Another place we see this is in John chapter 4, where in the first verse of John chapter 4, we have this interesting detail that the Pharisees had found out that Jesus was gaining and, notice, baptizing more disciples than John. Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples. You see how baptism was the initiation into, it was that initial step, that public declaration that I am a disciple of John or I am a disciple of Jesus. So number one, what is baptism? Baptism is an initiation into discipleship and of course discipleship is what it looks like to be a saved follower of Jesus. Number two, what is baptism? Baptism is a verification of commitment to Christ. A verification of commitment to Christ. Now, we've seen in the Great Commission that the call to salvation is a call to discipleship. But we have to go back to the things that Jesus said about discipleship and, and feel the weight that he's calling us into here. In the Great Commission, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. The whole thing of being a disciple of Jesus was built upon what he'd already done with his 12 disciples and what he taught them. And here's one of the things he taught them. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. To carry a cross was to choose death. Everyone knew in the Roman Empire, if you saw someone carrying a cross, you knew exactly what it meant. That person's about to die. That person's about to be executed by the Romans. To carry a cross was the surrendering of, of your life. It was the expectation that I'm dying now. And Jesus says, in order to be my disciple, you must carry your cross. A few verses later, Luke 14, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So what does baptism do? I would argue that baptism is a verification of our commitment to Christ. Now, I've heard lots of stories of people who find what we do here in this church publicly, you know, we put water in the tank, open the window, and 
uh, people share a little testimony and and we publicly bow. for some people that is absolutely terrifying probably for all of us it's something that would make us nervous have you ever thought about like why would why this why, why, why did Jesus make this part of it and I believe the answer one of the answers is that it forces us to count the cost do I really believe this like how serious am I really about this and the answer is, Jesus says, if you're serious, we're going to find out because I'm asking you to be baptized. Folks, the reality is in North America, our churches, our evangelical churches, are filled with people who think they're saved, shouldn't say filled, have many people who think they're saved and they're not. And baptism is meant to be one of those safeguards against someone who says, oh yeah, I'll do this. It's kind of publicly acceptable. It's kind of acceptable to my family. My friends are doing it. Baptism is, a meant, is meant to be a way to verify our genuine commitment to Christ. Now, if you think this is hard, and I know that it is, you've got to stop and ask yourself, what is it like for people in other places in the world? Or what was it like for people, maybe even the Ethiopian? Imagine being a Jewish person in the time just after Jesus died and rose and ascended. And as I said earlier, Christianity was viewed as a cult. And imagine you live in Jerusalem or you live in somewhere in Israel and the general feeling about Christianity is cult. And you know, as you hear the gospel, if you're getting to a place where you're like, I think this is true, I think Jesus really is the Messiah. I think I need to put my faith in him. You know... If you're going to do that, you are going to be publicly baptized. We're not going to hide away. We're not going to go to some secret place so no one knows. You're going to be publicly baptized. It's interesting how even in other parts of the world today, where to be a Christian means you're going to be ostracized by your family, you, you are going to be at risk of severe persecution if you are publicly known to be a Christian and somehow... Some way, we're going to get you baptized. And around the world, people have to wrestle with this. In the early days of the church, one of the weirdest verses about baptism is in 1 Corinthians, where Paul asks a really weird question, why are people baptized for the dead? 1 Corinthians 15, I believe. The best explanation, I have no idea what that means, sorry, teaching pastor doesn't have a clue. The best explanation I've ever read about that verse, about people being baptized for the dead, is this. That in the early days of the church, many people who got baptized died, martyred. But in their place, more and more people were getting baptized. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he said that people were getting baptized in place of the dead. Because the guy before me got killed for his faith and now I'm going to go into the same waters and do the same thing. This is what baptism has been for people all through the centuries of the church. It has been a counting of the cost. And I personally believe this is in God's wisdom, in, in the wisdom of Christ, that he was safeguarding against false professions by making baptism the first thing we do upon our salvation. 
Number three, what is baptism? It's an identification with Christ and his people. We talked about this when we talked about the baptism of Jesus. What was Jesus doing when he got baptized by John the Baptist? He wasn't getting baptized because he was a sinner. He was getting baptized to identify with us. And all who would come after him and all who would follow him, he wanted to identify with us. And so when we come to faith in him, he wants us to identify with him and with everyone else who calls on the name of Jesus. See this in Galatians chapter 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Notice, for all of you were baptized into Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. You see how baptism is uh, an acknowledgement that we are not only in Christ, but we are one with his people. So baptism is an identification with Christ and his people. Number four, what is baptism? Baptism is a declaration of faith in Christ for salvation. We wouldn't say that the act of baptism saves you. It's faith that saves you. But baptism is a declaration of that faith. And lest we think that the declaration of our faith is not that important, we have to turn to Romans 10, where we read Paul saying this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you catch that? He's making here profession. Again, we got to wrestle with Scripture honestly here, folks. This is like the book of James. It says, faith without works is dead. Well, here's an example of what that means. Many of us would say, well, I believe in Jesus in my heart, but don't ever ask me to say it with my mouth. Paul is calling into question the authenticity of your faith and whether that's saving faith because he says it's if you declare with your mouth. Genuine faith spills out of our lives. It spills out of our mouth. Jesus said it himself, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So declaration of our faith, confessing our faith audibly is one of the ways we demonstrate that we really truly believe Notice he says in the next verse, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You see why it's really hard for me if you come up to me and say, is baptism necessary for salvation? You're not going to get a shrug of the shoulders from me. We shouldn't if we want to be honest with God's word. Baptism is an opportunity for us to publicly declare our faith in Christ for salvation. One more. What is baptism? Baptism is an illustration of the gospel. Do you like all these nice T-I-O-N words here I gave you? Initiation into discipleship, verification of commitment, identification with Christ, declaration of faith, and illustration of the gospel. Perhaps seen most vividly in Romans 6, all of us who were baptized into Christ. Do you see the way when Paul talks about believers... He says that we were baptized into Christ. His assumption here is you were baptized. I mean, if you're really a believer, you, you were baptized. It's just, he's just making that assumption. All of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus 
we're baptized into his death. That's why when Jesus was baptized, he and John the Baptist, it says, went down into the water. When the Ethiopian was baptized, the scripture tells us in Acts 8 that he and Philip went down into the water. We baptize by immersion because baptism is meant to be a picture of this, of dying and getting buried. We were buried with him through baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was, what? Raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What is baptism? It is an illustration, a beautiful illustration of the gospel. You know, in my experience in church ministry, there's few things that are more powerful as an evangelistic tool of the church than a baptism. Haven't you found that? And don't you love it when someone gets baptized and the whole place fills up with visitors? And I love to encourage people who are getting baptized, invite, invite everyone. And, and I mean, like your friends at school who don't know Jesus, invite them. It's one of the ways that we verify our commitment and declare our faith. And, we're, and our baptism is a living sermon of the gospel. Invite everyone. Bring all your friends. Bring your, it doesn't matter if they don't know Jesus. All the better if they don't. Bring them. What a powerful opportunity to share the gospel. So what is baptism? I believe it is these five things. And so if you come to me and say, well, baptism isn't really necessary for salvation, is it? That's a very difficult question to answer biblically. And if Jesus or Paul or Peter were answering the question, we've seen how they answer the question. Baptism was the assumed first step, a demonstration of the repentance and faith of the heart. I want us to go back and see this finally in the Great Commission. I've added a few more verses here. To me, this is all we need to invite every one of us into baptism. This is all we need right here. Because the verse I didn't begin with the last time I had this on the screen says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why should we be baptized? Because the King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of creation, the ruler of all says, get baptized. Be baptized into discipleship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't need any other reason than that. He said so. So we should do so. But I know what it's like. I know there's people sitting here who have a knot in their stomach right now. I think I've given you ample biblical proof that you need to be baptized. But you're afraid. And maybe you find yourself asking, like, do I really believe this? And by the way, go back to that list. Go back to that list. If you come and say, I think I want to be baptized, I'm not sure if I need to, here's five great questions. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? I'll always remember meeting with a gal, a 10-year-old girl, who was asking for baptism. Her dad was an elder. He said, you come and talk to her. I sit on the couch with this gal named Rihanna. And I say, Rihanna, why do you want to be baptized? 
She said this, because I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. That was about 12 years ago, and she's still doing it. We baptized that gal because she understood this. I want to follow Jesus. Number two, are you willing to be committed? Is your heart in a place of commitment to follow Christ, even though it's not going to be easy? Maybe you lose friends. It's going to be hard. Do you have a commitment? Is your faith beyond just intellectually saying, oh, I believe in Jesus? No, your faith is such that you're ready to lay it on the line, to surrender all for Christ. Number three, do you, do you want to identify? Like, do you want people to know that you're with Jesus? Do you want people to know that you're part of these crazy people, like these Bible thumpers? Do you, do you want to be known as one who belongs to Jesus and belongs to his church? Or do you want to declare publicly? Do you want people to know? Do you want to say it out loud that I follow Christ, that I'm saved? And do you want to make a public illustration of the beauty of the gospel, of a Savior who died, was buried, and rose again? Those are great questions to ask. So some of you are asking that question right now, and you've got the pit... In, in, you got the knot in the pit of your stomach and you're recognizing that you need to do this and you feel like you can't. That's why we read to the end of the verse, the passage, where Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, here's the crazy thing. To be a follower of Jesus, we come to a place where we realize he's king of kings, he's lord of lords, I need to do what he says. And then we have to realize that I actually can't. Unless he enables me through the reality of the gospel, the transforming work of him saving me and giving me his Holy Spirit and coming alongside of me, I can never actually do the things that he's commanded me to do. It's only through Christ and his presence in my life that I can obey Christ as Lord of my life. This is what salvation is. So yes, we come to a place of surrender. We repent of our sin. We recognize we're unworthy of God. We turn to him for salvation, but we actually find that he is the one who enables us to follow through on the things that he's called us to do. So have you been baptized? One of the things that we want to emphasize, we will emphasize as we call people to be all for Christ, as we call people to be followers of Jesus, we are going to push baptism hard. Why is that? Well, think about our discipleship pathway. How will you grow and mature and become more like Jesus through the ups and downs of life unless you surrender. You see, the first step to going all the way to follow Jesus and all the hard things that he's going to call us to is to surrender. We surrender every day, but we start right now, right in this place. We surrender in baptism. We die in baptism. We die to our old way of life. We go under to show that we're all in need to be baptized.
Some of you had a former baptism. Some of you baptized as an infant. Well, what, what should you do? I, I love the story we saw from Acts chapter 19 where Paul says, so what baptism did you have? Notice that Paul did not say, oh, the baptism of John. That's a worthless baptism. No, he didn't say that. In fact, those of you who were baptized as an infant into a reform faith or a perspective on faith in which your parents and your church were doing that as a way of inviting you into the people of God. Is that a waste of time? Not at all. That, that, that heart, that desire for you to be part of, uh, of God's family, I, I would argue that's part of what's led you to this place today. You had people who pointed you towards Christ. But I'm going to do the same thing Paul said. John baptized you so that you'd come to know Jesus. And now Jesus invites you into baptism, the baptism of discipleship. So if you were baptized as an infant, your parents didn't do that so, you, so that as, as a means of saving you, but as a means of, of uh, acknowledging your part in God's covenant, we're going to invite you to be baptized again. It's not a slap in the face to your parents. It's not a slap in the, in the face to your former church. What it is is a way of honoring Jesus Christ and obeying his call to be his disciples. That's really what it's about. For some of you, uh, this message maybe raises more questions. So now you know not to ask me, is baptism necessary for salvation? But you might have lots of other good questions. Invite you to come to me, talk with me, talk to one of the other elders, and may God help us to be faithful to him as a church and as his people in this area of baptism. We're going to sing a final song, and then Matt's going to come and close. Thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom to know, Lord, that we need uh, to follow you with our whole hearts. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom in, in, in placing baptism as part of the discipleship process. And God, I pray that you would bring us all along in that. God, help us to be faithful to your word, faithful disciples in all areas of our lives. God, as we head into our weeks, whatever you're stirring in our hearts, Lord, would we, would we take that stir, Lord, and bring it back to you and say, Lord, what would you have us do? God, call us to great things as your people. And Lord, help us to follow you wherever you will lead us. Just bless us this day and bless us in our week. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to uh, just invite you to fellowship, to share good stories about God with one another, uh, to just share good fellowship before the Lord with one another. And you can do that in the lobby. You can do that in the gym. Uh, in the gym, there is coffee and refreshments, so please make your way right in there and enjoy some of that coffee. It's delicious. Bless you. Have a good week.